Well, good morning. It is good to be here on this 4th of July uh, weekend and Sunday, and hope everyone is having a great weekend. We're, we're kind of in this series, this little kind of uh, short, short sermon series on the patriarchs, and uh, we've been talking about Abraham, and we talked a little bit about Isaac and Abraham last week, and, and this week we're going to kind of go into the story of Jacob, and uh, who was uh, Isaac's son. To kind of understand this full story, we have to really kind of get into the into into what this is, what's going on, because Jacob's story is pretty convoluted. It's it's all over the place. Um, he was born the youngest of two twin boys. The older twin is Esau, um, which means red. And uh, we're told in the scriptures that when Jacob um, was born. He came out holding on to the heel of Esau, and which he gets the name Jacob, which is heel grabber. So we have heel grabber being born. They grow up doing their things. They're completely two different young men. They are different personalities, different interests. They are completely different. But the thing to remember is that Esau was born first. He had the birthright, which is incredibly important theologically and practically, because when, when, when everything moves to that generation, to Esau's and Jacob's generation, he's the firstborn. He gets the, the, the structure is lined up for him to receive the power of the household, the wealth of the household. And then, and then uh, Jacob will get a lesser portion. So everything is lined up well for Esau. Well, as they are uh, growing up and, and Jacob becomes his mother's favorite and Esau is out in the woods, he's, he's about hunting and he's about fishing and he's about being outside. And um, he, he comes in after a day in the fields and he's really hungry. Well, Jacob's in the tent and he's making a stew, a lentil stew. Poor Esau is just starved. And he says, I'd like to have some of your stew. And Jacob, seeing the opportunity, says, sell me your birthright for the bowl of stew. Esau, being a little careless, not looking too far forward, says, sure, I'll give you my birthright for a bowl of stew. And so now Jacob has the birthright of the firstborn. A little later, he tricks his, alien, his elderly and blind father, Isaac into receiving the blessing of the firstborn. He comes in and, and tricks his father by putting on a um, uh, skin of, with hair because he would be more like his brother. And so he comes in and he fools his father into being, to receiving that blessing. Well, when, when Esau finds out that not only has he sold his birthright for a, a bowl of stew, you know, we used to go to um, this place in Pensacola I'm going to kind of give you an idea of what this is like. Um, we used to go to this place in Pensacola. It was at an Irish club um, pub. It was called McGuire's. Have you ever been to McGuire's? There's one in Destin. There's one in Pensacola. Well, they have a, um, it's called a, a Senate bean stew uh, soup. And you can get that whatever. If you order a meal, you can get a, a side of this stew. I, I think it's for like a nickel. And so, you get, and so I always get it, because you can't get a side for a nickel anywhere, or a quarter, whatever it is. So I, I get that side every time. And it's just like navy bean soup is really all it is. Well, that's, 
similar to what Esau traded his birthright for. It was just a bowl of soup. And now he's lost his blessing, the firstborn blessing, because of Jacob has once again played the trickster, has taken advantage of the situation. So now he has the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn. Now Esau is very angry, and he vows that he will kill Jacob, his brother. Well, Jacob's mother overhears the conversation and says, Boy, you need to go away, and you need to go away fast. Go to your Uncle Laban. There you will find a home. There you will find a life. So that's where he goes. He finds Laban in the old home country. He finds not one wife, but two wives, as the trickster has been tricked. As he vows to, to marry one wife, Laban gives him the older daughter, Leah. And the scriptures tell us she's, she's a little weak on the eyes, whatever that means. Come to your own decision. So then he gets his first, his second wife. And while he's doing all of this, 14 years of servitude for Laban, he has two wives and has amassed a great wealth of belongings and livestock. Household has grown. And now he decides it's time to leave. And he goes back to his home country. And as he makes his way back, he encounters, he knows he's about to encounter his brother Esau. And he knows how he left Esau. Esau was angry, was so angry he was ready to murder Jacob. And so he splits his family away from him to protect them. And in the course of that night, after he has separated his family from the rest of the, of the household and, re, and from the rest of, of Jacob, he's kind of isolated himself. He has, this, well, he has this experience with God. And he wrestles all night with God. And he comes out of that wrestling match with an injured hip. And he limps along. And he brings his family back together after this, after this experience. And now he's ready to structure the family. This whole household and all of his livestock, he's now going to set it up like a camp. And he's going to move the camp forward like a military operation to impress, to hopefully scare Esau into the size of this household. And that's where we pick up with our scripture today. I invite us to, you'll find the reading in your bulletins. This is Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 17. Remember the story of Esau and Jacob and how Jacob left Esau. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. 
Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from your hand. For truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have everything I want. So he urged him, and he took it. And then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, Why should my Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth, and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the place is called Sukkoth. May God bless the reading of the word. This is a powerful, powerful um, experience that Jacob and Esau have. And it comes after a long and drawn out story, one with many twists and turns. Tricks, hoodwinks, clever plays, one upon the other. And as I said, Esau was left angry, so angry he had thoughts of murder for his brother. But when they encounter one another, Jacob has been changed. Maybe it was time, maybe he had matured. Maybe it was family life and the household and the demands of life itself. Or maybe, maybe it was that night of wrestling with God when he and all that he is, his whole being, had to wrestle with God and come to the idea that he is weak and even broken compared to the power of God. And as he faced his brother who he had wronged, he came humbly and he bowed down as he would approach a king bowing down seven times. And each portion of his household would come and bow down before Esau as bowing down before a king. This is certainly a story of reconciliation, but it's also a story of freedom. You see, Jacob was not free for most of his life, for much of his life. 
He was running from Esau, hiding from Esau, afraid of Esau, and now trapped in servitude to his uncle. And now as he's had this experience with God, he finds himself free where he can approach Esau, offer him himself, offer what his, what his brother deserved, the right of the firstborn, the blessing of the firstborn. He could do that freely. And we, on this weekend, we think a lot about freedom, and I, we should. We should think about freedom and what it means. You know, when I was a, I was thinking about my friend Terry a few days ago, and Terry passed away about three years ago of heart failure. And he was one of my earliest friends growing up, and I used to go to his house, and he would come to my house, and we rode motorcycles. Yes, we rode motorcycles together. We we had a great time together. But as I was young, if I wanted to go visit Terry, my parents would load me in the car and take me to his house. He lived on the far side of town, on the north side of town. I was on the south side of Tallahassee, and and so we had to go all the way through town and several miles beyond Tallahassee to get to his house. And so if I wanted to go, my parents had to give me permission, and then it had to be in a time when they could take me and that his parents could receive me. And so that's what we would do did that several times. And then as I turned 16, I, was, I had a car. And then my parents said, well, if you want to go see your friend Terry, you can, you can go on a Saturday when we're home. So there was a, a little expansion of my freedom, a little progression in my freedom. Now I had the freedom to go. And so I did. And I remember, I was thinking about this the other night, I remember getting in my car... And I was so excited to go see my buddy Terry. And I got in the car and I started to drive out of the neighborhood. And then I was turning onto Crawfordville Highway and I got so nervous. Because I was about to drive further than I had ever driven by myself. So I had to drive through downtown Tallahassee, get all the way through Tallahassee, and then go beyond Tallahassee. I was hoping I could remember how to get there. Because when you don't drive, you don't pay attention. I don't. In fact, I usually sleep. You can ask Leanne. (laughs) But I remember that sense of freedom and the the fear that came with it. That, yeah, I'm free to go. But can can I handle it? Am I old enough? Am I big enough? Am I smart enough? Am I skilled enough? Am I talented enough to handle this freedom? Finally, I, I made it without accident, without incident. It was a glorious thing. And I remember being so thankful. Then I was so proud. I got out of the car. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm at my buddy Terry's house. Where's Terry? And then it wasn't long after that that Terry and I would meet and we would go drive down to the sinkholes or to the beach or wherever without a thought of being afraid of the freedom we had. And I've thought about that sense of freedom that I I grew into, that maybe we all grow into. Because when we're we're children, when when we're born, we have no freedom. Zero. 
Well, we can think things, but we, don't, we can't act on anything. We're, we're picked up, we're placed, we're taken here, there. And then as we get a little older, we have a little more freedom, and, and our parents let the, kind of let the freedom go a little bit more. The circle gets a little bigger, and we can kind of roam around the house. But you can't go outside unless somebody's there. And then you get a little older, you can go outside, but don't go beyond the yard. Stay in the yard. And then when you get a little older, you can go to your friend's house down the street, but be home by dark and don't go anywhere else. And then it's, well, you can go spend the night at your friend's house. I'll see you first. I want you home by 11 o'clock the next day. And then it's okay. You can go to your friend's house, and I'll, I'll, I'll take you, and I'll pick you up on Sunday. So our circle of freedom just keeps expanding and expanding. And we're hopefully, we're growing into it. And it's, that's how we have been, that's how I was raised. That's how, my, that's how most of us are raised. And that's how we raise our children, is we give them a little bit more as we think they're ready, as we think they're ready. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the circle of freedom. Jacob lived in that same kind of circle of freedom. But as he was a young man, he wasn't afraid of it. And he abused it. And he took advantage. But when he wrestled with God, and all that was in him wrestled with God, he came to an understanding of what freedom really means. Because when he was freed from that grasp of God, and God let him go to be his own person, to be God's person, what did he do? He went and reconciled with his brother, which is a powerful event. That is theologically power. That they were able to reconcile. But the next thing we're told is that Esau says, come with me to Seir. Bring your whole family and bring your whole household. Come to me to Seir. But we're told in the scriptures that Jacob went to Sukkot. He was free to live his own life, to worship God as he sought to worship God, to wrestle with God as he wrestled with God, to live his life with his family, his household, where he decided to live, where God led him to live. That's freedom. Jacob found freedom in this story. Freedom from his fear of Esau. Freedom from his fear and servitude of Laban. Freedom from running from God. From tricking others. Freedom to be fully who he was created and born to be. That's a powerful thing for us, I think. So when you think about freedom, think about what it means to be free. You know, John Wesley wrote in his journal entry for May 18, 1788, as he was writing about liberty. He writes, I subjoined, I love that word, I subjoined a short account of Methodism, particularly insisting on the circumstances, 
There is no other religious society under heaven which requires nothing of men in order to their admission into it, but a desire to save their souls. Look around you. You cannot be admitted to the church or society of the Presbyterians, Anabaptists, Quakers, or any others unless you hold the same opinions with them and adhere to the same mode of worship. The Methodist alone does not insist on, on your holding this or that opinion. But they think and they let think. Neither do they impose any particular mode of worship. But you may continue in your former manner, be it what it may. Now I do not know any other religious society, either ancient or modern, wherein such liberty of conscience is not now allowed, or has been allowed since the age of the apostles. Here is our glorying, and a glorying peculiar to us. What society shares it with us? He goes on in one of his writings to it's a letter um, on predestination because he was always at odds with predestination. He writes, Indeed, if man were not free, he could not be accountable for his thoughts, words, or actions. If he were not free, he would be incapable either of reward or punishment. He would be incapable of either virtue or vice of being either morally good or bad. In this story in Old Testament, in the Genesis chapter 33, Jacob is a free man and he is held accountable for what he has done, what he has said, what he has thought. And he wrestles with God with all of it. And God sets him free, truly free. And we find him reconciling with his brother, his enemy. We find him living free with God. Where God has led him to live. How to live. That's a wonderful and powerful story on freedom and liberty. And I pray that we, wherever we are in our life and whatever, whatever we're running from, whatever we're hiding from, that is trapping us, that is binding us, that is holding us as slaves, that we wrestle with God with all of it, with all of it, everything that we have brought into ourself, all the wrongs, all the weaknesses, bring it to God and wrestle with God and let God take it away from us. Let God free us to live as God's people where God would have us live, how God would have us live, and worship how God would have us worship. That's my hope and prayer on this 4th of July weekend. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.